This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Broadcast Podcast. Um, my name is Tom and I'm on again with Beth. We're both part of the Broadcast team. How are you doing this morning, Beth? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. You? Yeah, not bad at all. Um, so we're finishing up our series now. We've been bringing you the talks from Renewal for Revival. Uh, over the last few weeks, you've heard uh, a load of teaching from uh, myself, from Rachel Gardner and from Jeremy Simpkins. And the conference was closed out by Sam Ward. And uh, if you don't know Sam, he's uh, an excellent public speaker. He uh, is with a message in Manchester. Um, uh, he, he does a load of stuff with them. Um, but he was giving us a bit of a call to be outward focused. It's no good coming and talking about renewal and revival and then just being inward looking and just wanting to do God some, just wanting God to do something with us. So uh, he was turning our eyes outward to the mission field and um, oh, it was a great way to end. Um, but Beth, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this final session. What was it about what Sam brought that particularly struck a chord with you? Yeah, I think so. I thought it was brilliant as well. I thought the whole thing was incredibly challenging, really. <laughs> I think he's a great challenger, isn't he, Sam? Yeah. And um, it was brilliant. To, he's, you know, talk, He talked about some of the stories and history of revival that yeah. we all know. Um, and then was kind of talking about where is it now? And do we sometimes reduce revival down to you know avoid talking about it to avoid disappointment and I thought oh wow that's bold to say at the front you know in front of many church leaders and yeah talking about um how sometimes our godly desires um for more of him can become distorted and changed and we get a bit fixated and I just thought the whole thing was really well it was very bold and kind of just caused us probably the whole room to think really think about where our desire for a revival is rooted and mm. and how we're approaching that which I thought was was brilliant um yeah I think something that really struck out to me was when he spoke about um an interaction with a, a young lad about um this young lad kind of he'd, he'd done some practical stuff for him and the young lad was like oh are you um are you not going to pray for me and um, Sam's like I've been praying for you um <laughs> And then, yeah, I won't ruin the whole story, but it was um, it's kind of a, a look about sometimes how we can um, create our relationship with God to be quite personal, but then actually we're um, restricting ourselves from sharing it with others and blessing others. And I think he said something about um, we're not we're not the final destination of God's blessing, and I thought that was really challenging and really brilliant, and to how we take you know the blessing we received out with us so yeah there's some, some things that really stood out to me what about you Tom yeah I thought the the balance he struck between being challenging about what we're expecting and why we want revival yet being faith-filled and you could tell Sam wanted it as well and mm. that it didn't feel like it was a, a slap down of mm. like oh you're talking revival that's nonsense mm. but it was a real call to like check your hearts here what is it that you're going after do you want do you want to see revival just so you look good or because you mm. think that it, it means God loves you more? Um, that's not true. Um, uh, and then when we've not seen revival, what, what do we do? How do we 
process that. And I mean, some of his things that he did, it's like, yeah, we do that, don't we? Like um, lowering the bar on it was one that he mm. made. Or uh, he went into this bit about like, oh yeah, God was working a revival. We just couldn't see it. And like, yeah. <laughs> I've heard people say so many times, oh, God's done so much that we won't see. And we know that's true. God works in a way that we don't see. And mm. yet when Sam was saying, I was like, it's so obvious that we don't want to settle for that, though. We want to see the hand of God move. Mm. So for me, I thought this was the perfect way to finish the mm. session. Uh, it wasn't a typical end of conference, make everyone like feel good, round it off. It left a lot of open edges, um, mm. but really as a, a provocative way to leave. Uh, I thought it was spot on, like, really, really good. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So we're going to bring you Sam now. Um, so enjoy this one. And uh, we're going to be back with you in coming weeks with more content from Broadcast. And also just to let you know a couple of other things going on on Broadcast. So we've got a new course from David Devonish on the kingdom uh, of God that's just gone live. So if you head over to the broadcastnetwork.org now, you'll be able to access that course from David. And we've also got another conference planned. This is a digital one, uh, and that's on the 8th of September, and that will be in Spanish. It's called Renovacion. Um, please forgive my accent there. Um, uh, it'll be three hours. Uh, we've picked a time for it that works for European uh, and for South and Central American time zones. And we're going to get some great speakers bringing some Spanish language content. Please do share the news about that to anyone in your world or who you have contacts with who are Spanish speakers. We'd love to get a bit of a crowd there uh, and Teach them similar themes, really, the uh, renewal of the church, the mission of the church, uh, but to a Spanish context. So uh, that said, we're going to bring you Sam now, closing out Renewal for Revival. It is wonderful to be with you. I have to say the sense of God's presence in this place is a joy. It really is. We can't take that for granted, can we? That God is with us. What an amazing thing that the living God, that reminder this morning, God is a living God. And yet he wants to dwell amongst his people. What a remarkable thing. It really is a joy to be with you. I feel like I'm a child of renewal. Uh, I was born into a, a traditional Baptist church that at the end of the late 70s began to uh, experience something of the Holy Spirit. Not really expecting it whatsoever, but the Holy Spirit began to work through this church that saw massive growth. And I remember just even as a young child, I have these memories of, uh, of intense experiences in the presence of God, age five and six being moved and overwhelmed by God's presence being there. Just remarkable, remarkable times. And uh, I suppose I'm also a child of the 90s, and so I grew up on like a, a diet of uh, expectation of revival coming. We talked about revival all the time. We sang about it. Send revival, start with me. We, we talked about being a history. I'm going to be a history maker in this land. Um, you know, we, we kind of over and over again, we sang, didn't we? Uh, Lord, send your spirit, send the fire. We need another Pentecost. You know, this is the season of my youth, expecting that God was going to turn up powerfully and work amongst us. We were expecting revival. 
And, uh, and then you get the stories, the diet of, of stories of revival. 1904, the Welsh revival. All those incredible stories about the, the spirit being outpoured into places. And then it would pop up, spring up in places that where nobody had been before. You know, you hear about it in the south, uh, blowing up in one day. And then the next in the north, and nobody's travelled, but the spirit is at work. Chapels and churches overflowing, not with Christians, but with heathen sinners coming under the power of God, desperate to be saved. Pubs emptied, dirty magazine publishers going out of business. You know the story of the pit ponies that suddenly became dysfunctional because they didn't understand their masters who now didn't swear anymore. You know the stories. And then the Welsh revival that seems to send missionaries around the world and then you hear the stories of its impact on places like South Korea. And then the Welsh revival moves over to Azusa Street and begins All those incredible stories there. I've heard stories of the the presence of God being so thick in that place that children would play hide and seek in the cloud of the Spirit. I heard about how they used to, um, as a sign of faith, when they wheeled the disabled into the the, the church services, they would turn up the footrests as a sign of faith that healing would soon and quickly appear. I heard one story of a guy who, who had a peg leg, a wooden kind of, uh, like, whatever, false leg. And, uh, and he was told to remove it in expectation, and they watched as his leg grew back. There was a woman passing the church on Azusa Street who who's, uh, had just found her husband, uh, caught her husband in an adulterous affair. And as she t- attempted to split the, the, the lovers up, um, she'd lost her ear in the fight. And going past the Azusa Street kind of chapel there was drawn inside by some people who just wanted to pray for her. And this bloody kind of ear hanging off is suddenly growing back as they begin to pray for her. Oh, hello. Look at that. It's on the way. Ooh. And, 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 and like stands begin to collapse under the weight of the power of the Lord. There we go. A bit more robust. They're having to change the furniture because what God was doing. And, the, and all sorts of things like diseases and sicknesses were getting healed. Things that today we would be uncomfortable even suggesting that we should pray for people like that. You know, I don't want to go into it, but even there was a story about a kid, uh, like majorly disfigured, dropped as a child, all distorted, who gets healed and goes on to be a Hollywood actor. You can search his name. His name is Robert Montgomery. Healed in the Azusa Street Revival, goes on to be a beautiful man of Hollywood. And then you read the stories of Whitfield and Wesley and William Booth, all those amazing things. My favourite Whitfield one that I read just recently was about Whitfield preaching to a massive crowd without a microphone like this. And, uh, and, and so the people at the back couldn't hear a thing. But at the back there, there's a woman weeping in repentance. And someone's like, how can you be weeping in repentance because you've heard nothing? And she says... Did you not see the righteous nod of Whitfield's head? Like she's responding to the the, the power and the presence of God, even displayed in the nodding of the head of Whitfield. It's remarkable. I'm fascinated by the stories of the Salvation Army. I've spent so much time digging through the old material. And renewal within the Salvation Army, revival in the Salvation Army, is not often talked about. 
But they had moves of the Spirit that were reported in the press. I was reading one from like the, the Newcastle Chronicle that, that, that the reporter sits next to a policeman who is talking about the despicable men that sit in front of him that later on are so filled with a sense of repentance that they're weeping on their knees at the front. And they called it, you know, whenever the Spirit moved, they called it the Hallelujah Wind Up. The hallelujah wind up, Lord, may we have some hallelujah wind ups. And, and the glory fits. They talked about the glory fits, where people were so overwhelmed by the power of God that they kind of uh, uh, collapsed, almost like trance-like state. And the, the Salvation Army were so concerned about its indiscipline that they began to carry them out of the room and put doctors with them just to monitor them because they were just so unsure. And salvation was happening everywhere. To the worst of heathens. One of my favourite books, which I'm not ever going to let you borrow, is the 1914 um, Orders and Regulations of the Salvation Army. It's incredible. Because in there is contained like almost the manual of how you start a church, how you lead a Salvation Army church. And in there, it's got everything from uh, how you uh, run a half night of prayer, a full night of prayer, how you... Um, uh, do all sorts of things. The etiquette on how you knock on someone's door and whether you should go in and, and where you should sit. Because what they were doing, they were seeing the worst of sinners come to know Christ. Then they were readying them and as quickly as possible sending them out on the mission field saying, read this book, do what's in the book and you'll be able to deliver it. But also, these are broken, broken people. Often coming out of addiction, often coming out of poverty. And so contained in the same book is also instructions on how to clean your teeth and how to wash your bottom. And it's just absolutely glorious what God was doing in those days. And I've grown up around, obviously, around the message trust. And if you were aware of what was going on with the worldwide message tribe in the 90s, they sang about the Hebridean revival like all the time. They talked about the Isle of Lewis and this, like, this beautiful track, Revival, that is terrible. But, but in there is like this, this kind of uh, old sermon played where, where this guy talks about from the center to the circumference, you know, the presence of God was made manifest. It's just incredible. I love the old stories. It kind of geared me up. It readied me. It, it, it sort of gave me this expectation that God was going to move and that revival would come. The year 2000, I moved in with a group of people into a poor neighborhood in the top 10 uh, most poorest neighborhoods in the nation. Lots of boarded up houses, lots of criminality, you know the kind of things. But we expected revival. Like, I'm not hyping it up. We really did believe revival would come, that our sacrifice moving from the suburbs into the inner city would lead to something remarkable. We thought that revival would come in three months. We were that sure. You know, we were told to commit to three years, and I thought it was a joke. No way would we need, be needed for three years. It wasn't arrogance. It really wasn't arrogance. It was hugely naive, I confess. <laughs> But it was full of faith and expectation that God was going to move in our streets, that we would see revival. You talk to some of the early Eden teams that moved into places like Withenshaw and Salford. We expected that revival was imminent. It was almost guaranteed. It was promised to us that something was going to happen. 
Last week, June the 2nd, marked my 22nd year living in Openshaw, East Manchester. Three months wasn't enough. Three years wasn't enough. I'm still there and revival hasn't happened. Don't get me wrong, we've seen some wonderful things. I've got some great stories But I confess they're few and far between. We saw some people come to faith. We did see some miracles happen. And actually when I listened to the guys from Eden, we had our conference just the other week. And we sort of spent some time just telling stories, telling testimonies of what God was doing. And there's some beautiful things. I heard about these guys in the northeast, actually, who uh, were waiting for, uh, outside the church, waiting for a woman to... um, to come uh, that they said they would pick up or something or they were going to take her to church and uh, she never showed up but walking past the car came these two ladies heroin addicts in a same-sex relationship what well, actually one of them's in a wheelchair and uh, and uh, they kind of cra- sort of create this conversation with the guy waiting for this woman he's going to take to church and they say oh we'll come if she's not coming and he kind of goes okay shoves these ladies in the back of his car drives them to church and they encounter the presence of God and they're invited to an alpha course and they they commit their life to Jesus and these heroin addicts get clean overnight no rattle no nothing it's in an instant they're healed and the lady in a wheelchair no longer uses a wheelchair she's now walking and she's fully fit And what's amazing is about these ladies in a same-sex relationship, suddenly the Lord begins to speak to them and says, that's not right. That's not good. Actually, I've got a better plan for your life. And so they're coming off this Alpha course saying, we don't really know what to do with this, but God says, maybe we shouldn't be together. We should just be friends. I'm like, this doesn't happen. Is it revival? Not to the level that I hoped of. I imagined like, like neighbourhood transformation. I wanted to see everybody get saved. It's not what we dreamt of. At times of dealing, you know, sometimes you have to deal with the disappointment with this. I have so often asked, what have I got to show for 20 years of faithful ministry? And I suppose you've got a couple of choices on how you get over it. One is you can lower the bar on what revival is. We take, notch down the power a little bit and we say, well, maybe, maybe it's not healings. Maybe it's not miracles. Maybe it's not salvation. Maybe it's none of the above. Maybe we, we, we reduce revival to good social change. Maybe we begin to take advantage and credit for the regeneration project that Manchester City Council did in my neighbourhood that has seen my area go from the top 10 in the nation now to the top 1,000. We're not doing too bad. And we say, well, maybe we'll call that a kind of revival. It's called regeneration. Maybe we reduce revival down geographically and we no longer talk about revival in the nation, but we talk about revival in the city. Or maybe we take it down from city to neighbourhood, or maybe from neighbourhood down to streets, or maybe from streets to... Do you remember that thing that happened in 2007 when God did something next door? Or maybe you just say revival's been slow. It's a slow revival. It's a revival over decades. 
Or maybe you say, oh, we'll never truly know the impact. This is my favorite one. We'll never truly know the impact of the revival that we couldn't really recognize. It's only when we get to heaven that the Lord will say, that Sam was a revival. And here is everybody that you didn't think got saved that actually did. I look forward to that one. Or we can just knuckle down and work harder. We can follow the teaching of the experts. We can buy the books and follow the programs all in a vain hope that our, our, our obedience will trigger revival, trigger renewal. Seven steps for revival, 12 steps for revival. They're all on the internet. They're all available. The law, I bought it, by the way, the laws of revival. It's really boring. <laughs> Or I asked myself the question, what would William Booth do? What was the secret? If I could only work out the secret. I don't know if you're the same. There must be a secret to revival. There must be a formula. If only I could work out the formula for renewal or revival. And then when I've got the secret source, everything will change. We tried working hard. We tried everything we could. We humbled ourselves and we prayed. We sought the face of God. We turned from wickedness. We waited expectantly for God to work. We even danced upon injustice. I don't even know what that means, but we tried to dance upon injustice. But if we're not careful, it leads us to anger and frustration with a God who appears not to be upholding his side of the deal. Lord, when we do this stuff, we're promised this stuff, and it's not happening. And this is what happens to the people of Isaiah 58. They were a people with high expectations of God. They were God's people, God's chosen. And day after day, they seek God. They're eager to know God's ways. They're eager for God to come near. They're seeking his presence. Surely this is perfect. Like surely this is the model that leads to revival and renewal and change and transformation. It's the secret that leads to salvation. Surely they'd done all that they needed to do, but God was not playing his part. And they cry out to God, informing him of all that they are doing. We have, have we not fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? We have humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. This is not, like, not the words of like one cheeky chappy who just wants to let God know what he should have been doing. Letting God know of everything that I've done and how disappointing you are. This is the corporate sound of a community. This is the collective cries of the people of God who say, what are you doing, God? Are you a blind God? Are you a deaf God? The people are frustrated. From their perspectives, they are smashing it. They're playing their part. They've been fasting. They've humbled themselves, even to the point where their heads are bowed and their clothes are torn apart and they've put like you know, ashes upon themselves as they grieve and cry out for God. 
Like, what do we have to do, Lord, in order for you to ask? And, and you know one of them's got a poster on the wall that says, 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. It's on the wall and they're ticking it off each and every day as they deliver on their side of the bargain. But where? Where? Where is God? They're convinced they've got it right. Surely God should see their efforts. He should be impressed by their commitment and their, sat- and, and their sacrifice. But there's a fundamental issue going on. Their fast is self-centered. Their fast is about themselves. Their fasting means that they think they deserve for God to step in. That somehow, after all that they've been doing, God owes them. We did our bit. You should step in. I remember having a pastoral conversation with someone in my church who told me how much he'd done for God and how little God had done for him. And I just sort of brought to his attention the grace of God and he was like, you need to leave my house. Are we not the same? We must be careful in our desire for renewal and revival that we don't fall into this trap. The temptation is for us to do a load of things for God, hoping that God will do a load of things for us in return. We fast for results. We live sacrificially. We pray. We insert the scheme that you've come up with, the, the pattern that you're going to follow in order for God to deliver. Maybe we read the Bible more and we promise to do it daily. Maybe we give more money. But if we're not careful, we turn God into this cosmic vending machine. We put all our sacrificial efforts in the top, hoping that out of the bottom will pop out something we call blessing. When we don't get what we want. We get mad, we get frustrated when what comes out uh, isn't exactly blessing. Maybe what comes out is suffering. We're like, that's exactly the opposite of what we were hoping for right now. Or maybe what we hoped for gets stuck in that curly-whirly mechanism in the centre of the vending machine and you're banging on the glass going, I put in so much and there it is. Someone else will probably get it because they'll put something in. You, you know the story. I've taken the analogy far enough. But God sees the heart. God sees what's going on. God sees that their requests are self-centered. They think they deserve God. They think that God should bless them. They want more of him. They want his presence. They want him to speak and to act, yet their motives are questionable. Why do you want renewal? Why do you want revival? Why did you come here? Ask yourself again. Did you do it because you uh, want to populate heaven with the worst of sinners that fall in repentance? Is it that you want God's kingdom to come? Is it because you want church to be revived? Is it that you want God's power to be unleashed? Is it for 
a hope that God would come near and that his presence would be tangible. They're all good and they're all great reasons. I hope you have some. But it's interesting how quickly our desires, our godly desires for more of God become distorted. Change. And we quickly make God's presence and power about ourselves and about us. We turn inwards. Revival becomes the ultimate church growth strategy. I've got no more ideas left. Revival would be helpful now. (laughs) Renewal becomes the thing that convinces us that we're more loved than the church down the road or another part of the nation. More favoured, more winning, more deserving. God heard us. He didn't hear them and he heard us. We are renewed And so we begin to enjoy the blessing. Like the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, as the glory of God is revealed, as the voice of God is heard, as the presence of God descends upon the mountain, Peter says, doesn't he, it's good for us to be here. Let us pop shelters. Let's stick about. I really like it here, Jesus. Do we have to go back down? I'd like to stay. This is quite amazing. Let's just build houses and stay put. When the blessing comes, we keep it to ourselves. And we begin to believe that we are the destination of God's blessing. God blesses us and it's to stay with us. Lord, send revival and renewal and we'll keep it to ourselves. Billy Graham says, God has given us two hands. One to receive with and the other to give with. But we start to make God's blessing something private, something personal, something for me. Just an intimate time together, me and Jesus. Send revival, start with me and go no further. We have two hands to receive. Let's just keep it to ourselves. I remember going into town with a, with a guy that was trying to get relocated. He was a, an addict. I was taking him into a rehabilitation centre. I'd sent him off with a lovely set of new pyjamas and some nice smellies, you know, so he'd feel amazing. And on the way into town, as we sort of drove into the city centre, he said to me, Sam, are you not going to pray for me? I was like, you cheeky lad. <laughs> I turned to him, I said, well, my friend Martin, I said, of course. In fact, what I'd like to let you know is that all the way down here, I've been praying for you. In fact, I've been praying for you for many weeks, Martin. And he turned to me and he said, you selfish barstool. It didn't say the last word. It was an expletive. You selfish guy, he said. How can it be that you've got a relationship with God? How can you, he said to me, how can you talk to him behind my back? I loved it. I'd made my relationship with Jesus such a personal thing. My, my prayer life was just about me and Jesus. And it was always supposed to be turned out. And it's like that with the blessing. It's like that with renewal. We keep it as like it's just designed for me. I'll hold on to that one. Thank you. We make ourselves the final destination of God's blessing. We are not a cul-de-sac of the blessing of God. It doesn't arrive with us and stay with us. It's to pass through and often to the lost and to the broken. But we all too quickly make the blessing about ourselves. We want to stay here. 
We want to keep what we have. And that's why time and time again, people return to renewal movement, um, meetings. I, I remember them at the end of the late 90s. People would turn up for a top-up. Oh, I've just come for a top-up. Are you joking? I've just come for a soak. <laughs> you do that, mate. <laughs> but you're in the wrong place. And you're expectant of the wrong kind of spirit. They have no intention of being a blessing to others. No intention of turning the blessing that they receive out towards the lost. And that's why I get so concerned about conferences that exist year on year, that go through the same motions, repeat the same patterns, because once there was an outpouring, once there was a renewal, and that's how we know to get it. We sing the same set of songs, we line people at the front, and we pray with them in the same kind of way, because once upon a time, God came in power. 30 years later, still repeating the same stuff, expecting the same results. Why would God come near? Why would God bless his people? Why would God reveal his power? Surely it's to fulfill his purposes and not our selfish demands. The people of Isaiah 58 were duplicitous. Whilst asking for more of God, while asking for more from God, they failed to fulfill what they'd already been given. They'd failed to use the blessing already received. They were the chosen. They were identified as the people of God. They were the people of the blessing. What for? To be a blessing to the nations. But yet they wanted more and they'd failed to use what they had. On the same day that they're seeking and fasting, they're also doing as they please, doing what they want. They exploit, there's disagreement, there's strife and there's fights. Instead of fulfilling the purposes of God, they do the opposite. And you know what? I find it really hard not to read the description of the Isaiah 58 people and not see it in our time, in our church. We desire renewal and revival, but yet there's greater division in the church than probably any other time in history. 40,000 denominations worldwide. There's disagreement and there is exploitation. You don't want to believe it, but there is. There's neglect of the, of the poor. There's neglect... Of the, forgot, of the forgotten people. There's oppression. There's outcast, of the outcast and the foreigner. Of the broken and the hurt. And yet we ask God for more. Yet we fail to use what we've already been given. They were the chosen. They were the blessed. You are the chosen. You are the blessed. And what are you doing with what you've been given? And yet you demand more from God. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You know what? The same spirit is the same spirit that is upon each of us. The same spirit that comes with purpose. Notice Jesus didn't say, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed me just for a top up. Just for a soaking. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is given for a purpose. Anointing to announce. Anointing to announce good news to the poor. An anointing to proclaim freedom. An anointing to proclaim the recovery of sight for the blind. 
anointing to proclaim that the oppressed will be set free, an anointing for those who proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, a new season of God. When we think of renewal and when we think of revival, do you have this in mind? That the Lord might come close again, that his spirit might come in power again. And we're like, well, it'd be brilliant because our church services will just be better. Let's remember what God renews us for. He readies us. He anoints us to go. He anoints us to share and proclaim and announce. He anoints us to free and to heal and release. Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. See how renewal is found first in obedience. Their light breaks forth, the light comes out as they begin to do what they are called to do, called to be. Their righteousness is revealed when they turn themselves outwards towards the broken. When we do as God asks, when we go where God would send us, it's then when we cry for help And actually, that should be the cry for revival. That should be the cry for renewal. It should be, God, we can't do this. We need your help. It's then when we cry, he says, I'm here. I love that. I want to hear God say, I'm here. Don't you want to hear the voice of God? Don't you want to know without doubt that the presence of God is in this place? I am here. The presence and the power of God is made known. The presence and the power of God is revealed. Where? Where? In the place of injustice, in the place of oppression, in the place of hunger and homelessness, in the place of nakedness and suffering. Why is it that revivals start on the margins of society? Why is it that revivals happen first and most often amongst the poor and the broken? It's because God is there. You want to go find God, you want to go meet God, you want to sense his presence, go to where God might be. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, but you did not look after me. And they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in need or in needing clothes or a sick or in prison and did not and, and and did not help you he will reply truly i tell you whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me the people of isaiah 58 could not see the hungry they could not see the thirsty they were blind and unaware of the stranger oblivious to the naked where did we see you Jesus says, you can't see me because your eyes are fixed on your navel. Your eyes are fixed on yourself. 
And it can't ever be that renewal and revival makes us inward looking. It cannot be. We cannot be negligent with the spirit, the same spirit that anointed Christ. When it begins to anoint us as the people of Christ, it cannot be that we then say, well, that was lovely. Let's do it again next week. Let's keep going for 30 years because I feel good. can't see the needs of God because we can't see beyond our own needs we can't see Jesus in the life life and uh, of the broken because our attention is drawn to ourselves they failed to receive the blessing of God's presence because they missed their opportunity to bless they missed their opportunity to give we have to become a church that is not obsessed with self How can the church not see those on the margins? How can we be so self-obsessed that we leave Jesus out in the cold? I love the the Hebrew words, descriptions uh, for, for the word wicked and the word righteous. When I came across these, it blew my mind. In the Hebrew, when they talk about wickedness, it's a person who sees his or her resources as belonging to just them. The identification of someone who is wicked and not doing as God intended is that when they take blessing, they say, that'll do and it's just for me. But the righteous person, the word righteous means a person who disadvantages themselves for the sake of others, for the sake of the community. Do you see what happens? The presence of God anoints us and it cannot be that we say, that'll do for me. It has to be that it turns us out towards the broken. The wicked person thinks they deserve it, thinks they've earned it, that the presence and the power of God is for them. The righteous is turned outwards to the lost and to the broken. They see that what they've been given is for the benefit of others. This is what Keller says. A life poured out in deeds of service to others, and especially the poor, is the inevitable sign of real faith and real connection with God. You want more of God's presence? You want more of God's power? Where will it take you? We long for an outpouring. We long for more of God's presence. And it's going to lead us right to the poor and to the lost. It cannot be that it's just for us. Let's not make that mistake. As we begin just to raise our expectation that God is on the move. Great work from Tom yesterday as he began to talk about the signs of revival. When a nation might be ready, we sense we could be there. But church, let's not waste this one. Let's not be those who forsake it. I've been to North Wales. I've done the tour. I've seen all the churches that were once filled, now empty, now boarded up and locked up. I was asked, even removed from the church property of Bethesda, which was home of the North Wales revival. It's all gone. It's devastating because the church begins to lock its doors and say, that'll do no further. Charles Finney, in his amazing tome of uh, uh, his book on revival, talks about repentance, and Tom took us there yesterday. But it's interesting that the first thing he asks us to be repentant for, it's not the big sins, it's not the big issues that kind of dominate our lives. He says, repent first for your ingratitude. 
for failing to see what God has already given, for failing to recognise what God has displayed and given to the church, what God is doing we've lost sight of. And as I finish, I just want to say, let's, let's finish where we started. Again, repenting for where we've taken for granted the blessing that has come upon God's people. We are the chosen. We are those who are blessed, but for purpose to be sent out to the broken. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that we can declare that we, your people, and you are our God. And we long for more of you, and we long for your power to be displayed. But we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing today. We thank you, God, that you are living and active, that you are not a God far off. You're not a God once removed. You're not a God who is distant, but you're a God who is at work today. And Lord, we don't want to be a people frustrated and disappointed that it's just not enough for us. We want to say you are enough, God. And we delight in your grace. And we're grateful for your mercy and your love on display. And Lord, hear our heart. When we cry out for more of you, it is because we want to see heaven populated. It is because we desire to see the poor brought in and healing to come. It is because we long to see your kingdom come. Lord, we say your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We long for it, Lord. But we say thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you are a God who saves. Thank you, God, that you are a God at work. Today, as always, we thank you for what you've given us. We are not ungrateful, Jesus. Amen.